the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The just will live by faith. The faith we exercise in trusting Christ as our Savior is the same faith we need to exercise in trusting God with everyday life. See, faith is not just something you exercise in relation to salvation and say, okay, I've exercised faith and now I'm done with trusting God. You trust God for your salvation. You believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but faith is trust and that kind of trust needs to be exercised every single day. When things aren't going the way you want them to go, it can be easy to question God and torment yourself over the unanswered questions. But God's desire is that you will trust Him, whether you understand what is going on or not. When will you be able to realize that since you can't fix or change your circumstances, you just leave it to God? In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to stop asking why and start trusting God because he has your best interest in mind. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Habakkuk as he continues his message, When God Doesn't Make Sense. This is stage number one, and we're all going to deal with this stage at some point when God doesn't make sense and we're troubled by things. The questioning stage, let me just say something that's important here. Asking God a bunch of questions is not an affront to God. It may expose our own childlike lack of understanding the complexity of our universe. Okay, it might expose our childlike inability to comprehend some things, but it is not wrong to ask God questions. He's a big God. He can take your questions. You know, you see all through the Bible that there are different people who question God when they didn't understand him. Moses, for example. When God called Moses out of the desert of Midian to go back to Egypt and to be God's messenger to announce to Pharaoh that God has determined that the Jewish people are supposed to leave this slavery after 400 years. Moses kind of reluctantly agrees, you know, the whole burning bush experience in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was a a reluctant guy. 
uh, he, he, he said to God, you know, I stutter, I'm, I, I, I'm not really that good, you know, in conversation, and so God says, I'll take care of that, uh, your brother Aaron will go, he'll kind of speak, you, you're, you're the one who's going to be my representative, and, I'll, and so God takes away all his excuses. Okay, so Moses eventually goes. When he goes, and he shows up to Pharaoh, he's like, I, I'm here to announce that God says to you, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, what, what, what are you saying to me? And Moses is like, just what I already said. I, I'm here to tell you to let the Jewish people go. And Pharaoh says, no way to Yahweh. That's what he says. And Pharaoh's like, I ain't giving up, I ain't giving up free slave, slave labor force. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are, Moses? I mean, you, you know, you were here, you were raised here, then you, you flee off to Midian after you kill that Egyptian, and now you want to waltz back into my palace and tell me what to do? No, thank you. And so what happens is Pharaoh says, and because you've asked, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it harder for the Hebrew slaves. And the Bible says that he made it more intense for their labor by requiring the Hebrew slaves to produce the same amount of bricks. They were basically making uh, mud bricks, but without any straw. Now, straw was like the glue for cohesion. And now they're required to make bricks without straw, which is even harder, and they had to keep the same quota. And so guess what happens? The Hebrew slaves, in particular the foremen of the Hebrews, go to Moses and Aaron and say, way to go, guys, knuckleheads. You guys go in to Pharaoh, and you obviously haven't read the art of the Egyptian deal. And you go in and you try to make this deal and you negotiate for our freedom. Here's what ended up happening. You've made it worse for us. Thanks a lot. So Moses goes back to God in Exodus chapter 5, 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Moses says, God, you know, I don't even know why you sent me. It's gotten worse and you haven't yet delivered the people. So he questions God. God didn't kill Moses over this. He questions God. He's upset. You also see the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, Jeremiah says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you about your judgments. God, I, I, I have some confusion about the way that you judge or don't. And the next, verse, or the next part of verse 1, he says, Why does the way the wicked prosper? And why are those happy who deal so treacherously? So, God, I don't understand your form of justice. Why are wicked people allowed to get by with stuff here? That's what Jeremiah said. You look through the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, God is continually questioned. Psalm 10, verse 1, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 42, 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Psalm 44, 24, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? And on and on. So there are plenty of examples in the Bible where people question God because they didn't understand. God didn't make sense. It's okay to question God. He's a big God and he can take our big questions. But that said, he is not obligated to answer. He is not obligated to answer, at least not when and the way we think. And sometimes his silence is because he knows we don't have the capacity to comprehend the deep things that he's up to. 
And to be honest, sometimes his silence is his mercy. Because if we understood everything, it would probably be burdensome to us. And sometimes in his mercy, he remains silent so as not to burden us with more information than we can handle. The fact of the matter is that when Habakkuk raised this second question to God, okay, God, I don't understand all the evil and wickedness, okay, but your answer is you're going to bring a wicked people to deal with our wickedness. This doesn't make sense to me. The fact is that when Habakkuk raised the second question, God did not directly answer him, not in the story here. What God does do is he's going to tell Habakkuk in chapter 2 how to live when life doesn't make sense, but he doesn't specifically answer the why. Life will be full of unanswered why questions. And we can either torment ourselves with the unanswered whys, or we can believe that God is fundamentally good and trust Him even when things don't make sense to us. At the end of the day, that's the choice. We can either torment ourselves by asking the why questions over and over and over and over again. Or we can believe that the fundamental nature of God is good and we can trust Him even when things don't make sense. I mean, isn't this what we want of our kids when they don't understand our parental intervention or our parental decisions and and they complain because they lack the capacity to really understand what we as parents have have better wisdom concerning. And so, you know, you get this pushback because they're just kids. They don't understand. So, you know, your three-year-old doesn't understand why he or she can't play in the street. You know, so they're out uh, frolicking around playing in the street. You're like, hey, get out of the street. Don't play in the street. Oh, why? Why can't I play in the street? You're such a joy killer. I'm just chasing butterflies. Is that right? You're chasing butterflies? Let me take you over here to dad's car. Look at the grill of dad's car. You see a few butterflies right there? Yeah, that's because they're dead now. That's what I don't want to happen to you. Get out of the street. See, kids don't understand that. I don't recommend you actually show them a butterfly that's dead. That will scar them. But you get my point. It's like, they don't understand. They're just wanting to have fun in the street. But you know better. Street is not a good place to play. When your teenager says to you, I want to date so-and-so. And and you're like, really? Okay. And then you do what every good, red-blooded American parent needs to do. You stalk so-and-so's social media. You get online, you start looking, see what they're into, see what their life looks like, see a few of their pictures, and then you go back to that teenager and say, I'm sorry, uh uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. Not gonna happen. And then your kids look at you like you're the spawn of Satan. They're like, what kind of a parent are you? Why, why, why? I want to go live in the neighbor's house. Johnny's parents are a whole lot better than you are. Great, let me help you pack. You know, and so that's the kind of conversation that happens in households all the time. Why? Because that teenager or the three-year-old or whatever the case may be can't necessarily understand what you do as parents, but that you're always looking out for their good. That's the way it is with God. There are simply some things we don't understand. God's a better dad, and he's always looking out for our good. But to us, it sometimes seems, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why did you do this? Why, why did you do that? And so we're left with questions and confusion. But at some point, we have to get to the place where we stop tormenting ourselves with the why questions 
And this is the next stage. We move in to the trusting stage. We move into the trusting stage. In Habakkuk chapter 2, look at verses 2 to 4. Then the Lord answered me and said, now this is the how, this is not the answer, this is not the answer to why. God says, this, this is how I want you to live. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it known, sorry, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Look at how verse 4 ends. But the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Now that last sentence there is quoted three times in the New Testament. Again, Habakkuk himself is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but he is quoted. And that verse, the just shall live by faith, quoted three times in the New Testament, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.13, Hebrews 10.37. And every time it is quoted in the New Testament, it is in relation to salvation, that you exercise faith to trust Christ as your Savior, thus the just will live by faith, Okay. But in its original context here in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it was not about salvation per se. It's a correct New Testament application of the verse for a relationship with Jesus. But in its original context, it was about how to live during times when things were difficult. The just will live by faith. The faith we exercise in trusting Christ as our Savior, is the same faith we need to exercise in trusting God with everyday life. See, faith is not just something you exercise in relation to salvation and say, okay, I've exercised faith and now I'm done with trusting God. You trust God for your salvation. You believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but faith is trust and that kind of trust needs to be exercised every single day. When we look at our world and we look at our lives and things don't make sense and why God this and why God that, we have to start to realize the just will live by faith. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk not by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And God was basically saying, Habakkuk, I want you to start to trust me. I want you to start... Stop, stop looking at everything around you with all this confusion. Why God? Why God? Why God? And I want you to trust me. The just will live by faith. So trusting, this trusting stage here is when you get to the place of realizing that because you can't fix something or change something or necessarily even understand something, that you learn to lean on the Lord and trust him. That's what this stage is. The just will live by faith. Faith is trust. Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Psalm 91, verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. And David simply said it like this in Psalm 56, 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Things in life, friends, in case you haven't figured it out by now, won't always have simple explanations. It's okay to say, I don't like this. I don't understand it. 
but I trust in the Lord that he is on the throne and that he cares about me. Some things just won't have simple explanations. I don't like it. I don't necessarily understand it. But I trust in the Lord that he is on the throne and that he will take care of me. And this is where Habakkuk eventually gets. If you look at the way chapter 2 ends, when you look in your Bibles at the way chapter 2 ends, verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. See, he's moved from questioning God to trusting God. He's at the place where he says, but I know that God is seated on his throne in heaven. He's in charge. He's in control. I just need to keep silent before him and trust him. So he stops asking all the questions. Some of these things obviously take time. The questioning stage might be a while for you to just, you know, get this out of your heart to God. Why God? Why God? But eventually the hope is that we move from the questioning stage to the trusting stage where we realize God's on the throne. He's in charge. I'm just going to keep silent before him and I'm going to trust him. Now, check this out. In Psalm 5 verse 11, David makes a correlation between trusting God and rejoicing in the Lord. This is what Psalm 511 says. Let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. And so there in Psalm 511, David says there's a correlation between trusting God and finding joy in the Lord. And that's the final stage we see in chapter 3. Habakkuk goes from questioning God to trusting God to praising God. Now, he's not rejoicing in the circumstance. He's rejoicing in the Lord, and he's trusting God with the circumstance. But he moves to this place of praise. Now, I want you to notice in chapter 3 that all of chapter 3 is a prayer put to music. It's a song. Chapter 3 is entirely a song. How do we know? The way it ends, uh, uh, rather begins and ends. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Shigianoth is a musical term. And we're not sure what exactly it means. It might refer to the meter or the tone or the instrument used to play this song. But it's a musical term. And if you notice the way the chapter ends, the very last sentence in verse 19 It says, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Do you see that? To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. And so what we find here is that this is all a song. Chapter 3 is entirely a song. It's a song of praise. It's a prayer put to music that praises God, which is typical. A lot of Jewish prayers are put to music. They are sung often. Habakkuk is singing this last chapter here as a praise unto the Lord. He praises his way out of his anguish. He gets to the place where he stops questioning, he starts trusting, and now he's praising God despite his circumstances. Look here at chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianope. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. That's a great prayer. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. That's a reference to the area of Mount Sinai where God delivered the law and delivered the people from their slavery. 
And it says, His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. And Habakkuk goes on to worship God throughout chapter 3. And one of the things that Habakkuk does in chapter 3 is he recalls the faithfulness of God in the past. And he basically says, since God has always been faithful to me in the past, I'm going to trust that he's faithful in the present and he will be faithful in my future. And he ends this book with words that show he has gone from confusion to consolation. He's in a much better place. Look at the way this book ends here in chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. You see how he gets to this place where he says, and he describes the the condition of Judah at this particular time. Maybe there's drought or maybe the Babylonians have already started to ravage the land, but he's, he's talking about there's no fig tree that blossoms, no fruit of the vines, you know, the olive crop has failed, the fields are yielding no fruit, there's, you know, n- no cattle in the stall. In other words, he's saying when life is bleak and barren, yet I will praise the Lord and I will rejoice in God my Savior. And he moves to this place of praising God despite his circumstances. And I love this little reference. I don't want it to go unnoticed where he says there in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. What's that all about? It's actually a reference in the Hebrew to the Gedi, which is the wild goats. In English, we call them the Ibex. When you go down to Israel with me to the Dead Sea, we stop at En Gedi, which in Hebrew means the spring of the wild goats. And it's like an oasis in the middle of the desert down by the Dead Sea where David hid for for years when Saul was trying to kill him. These ibex, these wild goats, are incredible to watch. They hug the hillsides, steep hills, by walking on these little five to six inch ridges that jut out along the side of these steep hills. And they just... They, they go from valley to mountaintop and mountaintop to valley, just kind of skipping on these little six-inch ledges all the way up the side of the hill. And, and when I draw people's attention to it, when we go on tours, I look at these. Everybody's like aghast, like, oh, they're going to fall. These little, these precious little goats are going to meet their goat death, you know, and they're going to, because they, they just prance around on these little tiny edges on the side, the ridges that have been cut out along the side of these steep, steep hillsides. And Habakkuk is saying here, God's going to make my feet like the feet of the deer. He's saying, God is going to help me like the ibex. And when you watch them, it's an amazing thing how graceful and and the dexterity they have to maneuver along these tiny little ridges without falling to their death. Habakkuk is another way of saying it is basically this. God is going to make sure that I keep my footing even when life is difficult. And he's going to help me to navigate those difficult places of life. And there will be times that you and I will go from the valley to the mountaintop. And there are times that you and I will go from the mountaintop to the valley. But all along the way, 
God will help to keep our footing secure when life seems so difficult so that we can say as Habakkuk did, the Lord God is my strength. And I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching through the last several books of the Old Testament, also known as the Minor Prophets. These short books are powerful and reveal so much about your Creator and His love for the world. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. Again, that number is 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has a companion resource available for this Minor Prophets series. You'll find it under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study the Minor Prophets. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know